we begin worship today, I just want you to close your eyes. And I want you to think about these words. Close your eyes and think about these words. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down with love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little tongue, what you say. Be careful, little tongue, what you say. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little tongue, what you say. Be careful, little heart, whom you trust. Be careful, little heart, whom you trust. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little heart, whom you trust. Now open your eyes. This week at Rome Mountain, we had more people be a part of our festivities than ever before. On Tuesday evening, we had over 130. And that was one of the songs that we sang this week. A child song that goes to the very essence of the gospel. Isn't it amazing how the simplicity of a children's song can convey the multitude of truths that Jesus stood for? Whether it's your eyes or your ears or your tongue or your heart, all of those things matter before the Lord. And I, as we sang that this week, one of the children that had come who was unchurched, and the re reason I know he's unchurched is because he had uh, multiple brothers and sisters, four or five at least, and uh, we asked him, uh, several people asked him what church he goes to, and he couldn't remember, and someone said, well, we go to Elizabethan First Baptist Church, and he said, that's where I go. Um, and he said to me, I was sitting beside him on one of the mornings, he came every morning and every night, or actually came uh, four of the day, three of the days, uh, and at night, uh, four of the nights, and he said to me, he said, you know, I just love that song. He's probably six or seven years old. And I said, well, why do you love that song? And he said, you know, he said, it's with your heart that you love. And he said, that's my favorite part of that song. Because I know that God loves me. And he says, I know that, you know, I don't have, I don't have a lot of things. And I don't have a, he said, you know, my mom and dad, I think it's step parents. He said, my mom and dad love me. But he says, I always know that God loves me. And he said, that song particularly about trust, he says, and I mean for a seven-year-old, this is huge, he says, trust, he said, that's an interesting word. Does trust mean that you give God your heart? Wow. It's exactly what it means. With no strings attached, for us in the room who are used to writing checks, it's the equivalent of writing God a blank check. Basically, all we do is we sign our name to it, and have him do with our lives, as if that check represents our lives, do with it his will. As we look this morning in Romans chapter 6, I want you to be thinking in the backdrop of eyes, ears, tongue, and heart. 
how are we following Jesus together? And there are several questions that I think that, that we should ponder. And, and the first one that from Romans chapter 6 is this. Are you and I living a new life? Because Romans chapter 6 presupposes that there was an old and now there's a new. Um, and if we're not careful when we look and we gauge into our lives introspectively, we'll realize that there still are remnants of the old. There's still remnants of what used to be. And some of the problems, some of the situations that we face, we have to be willing to concede. We have to be willing to surrender. We have to be willing to live this new life that God has called us to. In Romans uh, chapter 6, verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? In other words, because I'm a believer and because God's grace is sufficient, does that mean that I should be able to do anything I want? I, I recall a story of uh, 20, 25 years ago. Um, I was uh, in, a, in a setting in a school and uh, as a student, and uh, there was a student there. And, uh, you know, I was one of those, as I've shared with you, kind of a holy roller. Uh, you know, if you didn't go to church, you were a hoodlum. Uh, and I'm, I'm all about reaching the hoodlums for Christ. Uh, but I was one of those Jesus kind of freaks, kind of pious or whatnot. And so there was this particular girl and she goes, well, look, I've been a Baptist. I was raised in a Baptist church. And she goes, don't you believe in once saved, always saved? And I said, yes, I do. She goes, well, then it doesn't matter how I live because God's grace is sufficient. Now, the reality is that a lot of us have thought that to ourselves at some point in our lives. Now, we may not orchestrate our lives around that. But a lot, listen, a lot of us in the past have thought, before we do something, I can always ask for forgiveness later. Now, in church life, for instance, uh, when, I was, when I first got into church work, kind of the rule, and uh, Dr. Welch would probably know about this, but uh, in church life, a lot of times uh, people will say things like, well, you can always ask for forgiveness later. Insinuating you do, he's shaking his head, you do this, you don't want to ask because you may be told no. How many of you worked in a career like that, that you feel like, you know, just I can ask for forgiveness later? Have you ever done that? Couple of you? Okay, okay. Let, let's try that question again. Have you ever done that? Uh, made a decision thinking, I can always ask for forgiveness later. Okay, there we go. Whew, get worried there for a second. Are we living a new life? By the way, that's a wrong way to do. Uh, because the, the fact of the matter is, we need to live a life that is new in Christ. Now, I was talking with a couple of seniors this week about this specific passage of Scripture. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Now, if you're reading from the King James, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it will say, certainly not. Um, this says by no means. And it doesn't really give uh, the translation and the vernacular that we would use. Um, I don't know. I'm not going to say exactly what it says, but let's just say by no means. Uh, let's be a little bit more emphatic about that statement. Should we sin more that grace may abound? Absolutely not. Paul will be screaming at the top of his lungs. And actually, the Greek word there, I'm not going to go into details about it, but I'll just tell you the Greek word that's used there um, is used very sparingly uh, in New Testament times. In order to insinuate, it's not necessarily, it'd be like if you're in Britain and you use the word bloody. Bloody, uh, you know, this is, you're a bloody whatever. That's not considered a, a good thing. In fact, it's coarse language. Approaching cursing, Paul wants to get across the fact you don't sin to use God's grace. Wrong idea, bad theology. But the question is, are we living a new life? 
life. Because it says we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That is what baptism symbolizes. Baptism, and I've, I've said this before and I'll, I'll continue teaching it, is that nothing miraculously happens when you and I are baptized in water. But what is great about being baptized in front of people is it gives a second profession of your faith. It's letting people know that you are taking your relationship with Christ serious to uh, be obedient to Scripture. But basically you have the old life that represents the life before you get into the water. And once you go under and you are immersed... It is symbolizing the washing away of your sin, the washing away of your old life. You want to be more direct. It represents the crucifying of your own life, the dying to self. And then when you come out of that water, it is symbolizing the new life that you have in the work of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. That's why baptism is important. It's an outward sign of an inner grace. It's an outward sign. It's a symbol of what's going on and the very essence of what it means to be a follower of Christ. So the question is, are we living a new life? And it's not this, well, I think I am. It's either I am or I'm not. Are we living a new life? And is that new life connected intricately to Jesus Christ? In other words, are we attempting to live a life that is obedient and in fellowship of Him? I've said before that what we do, our motives should matter. It's not just doing the right thing. It's doing the right thing for the right reason. That's why it's vitally important. Are we living a new life? We don't sin more so God's grace can be used more. God's grace is sufficient. His grace, and, and I've run into people that will use this passage of scripture and say, well, once you die to sin in your life of Christ, sin no longer uh, has a part of you. Well, what, you're, what we're saying is that when you become a follower of Jesus, you now have spiritual perception of what's going on. You have spiritual insight. It's not that you follow Christ and suddenly you have no more sin. I have run into some people that believe they no longer sin once they become followers of Jesus. And that, I, I just, you know, to me, I would just have a hard time backing that up. Uh, but I've run into people, nonetheless, that think that once you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you, sin no longer has a reign in your life, therefore you're not sinning anymore. I've yet to meet that, those individuals, even when they've uh, self-identified uh, and how humble they must be. Uh, but I, I will say this, that we don't continue to live in sin. There should be a marked difference between our life before Christ and our life after Christ. Now, I say that, and then I also know what it was like to sit uh, in a pew growing up. And I mean, I was raised in church. Uh, I, I think I've told you, I, I was there for even the nine months I was in the womb, okay? So from, from the very beginning, church, 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 uh, to the point that I was like, uh, you know, 10 or 11 years old, I had a key to the church uh, because we were there so much. My parents worked at the church. Father was a janitor. Mother was an organist. We were there all the time. As a matter of fact, when I was uh, a little bit younger than about, about Abigail's age, the organ was, or actually my mother started as the pianist and she was up here playing the piano, practicing one day, and I proceeded to draw a mural on the wall in pencil. Um, well, that was a whole, that was an interesting feat. But we were at the church all the time. 
And so when I would hear people say there needs to be a marked difference between your life before Christ and after Christ, you know, I came to Christ at the age of nine. I had a child's perception of what that was about, but it was legitimate. I, I came to Jesus at nine years old. I gave my heart to him. I came as a result of Vacation Bible School. So until my dying day, I will support Vacation Bible School and Backyard Bible Clubs because they work. The simplicity of the gospel, the love of people compels children to trust the Lord Jesus Christ and to pursue him. But when I came to Christ... It's not like I was uh, a gangster before I, before I became a Christian, you know. Uh, it's not like I was, uh, it wasn't like I was P. Diddy or something. I mean, you know, I, I, was, I was a church-going follower of Jesus. I mean, I didn't cheat on tests. Uh, and when I became a teenager, I didn't drink, I didn't do drugs, I didn't have sex, I didn't do any of that stuff. Because remember, I was pious. I was one of the holy rollers, one of the Pharisees. I, listen, I, when, when Paul says, I was Pharisee of Pharisees, I was all about it. I was law all the way. You, you know, you sin against God, I have nothing to do with you, okay? You don't look like me, talk like me, go to church like me, you're a hoodlum and you need to be right with the Lord. I mean, and, and listen, and the irony of this is, I've run into people in the last five to seven years where that's the same kind of, very legalistic, very judgmental. So listen, when I, the reason that I've gone the other extreme now is because I know what it's like to be judgmental towards people. I know what it's like to be so rigid and cold. And what I'm going to tell you is very few people came to Christ because of my rigidity. Very few people came to Christ because I was judgmental. In fact, I think many of them came to Christ despite what I was doing, despite what I was saying, despite how I would preach against them or whatnot. But for all practical purposes, I, didn't, I wasn't in the gutter. I wasn't redeemed from the gutter. Now, maybe some of you were, and that's the power of God. But for me and for a lot of others that were raised in the church or raised in good families or whatnot, maybe you didn't go to church, you didn't have this drastic external change. And, and we get into a mindset of thinking about testimonies and we're looking. When people give their testimonies, we get, we get, concerned, we get concerned about, well, I don't have a, a vivid testimony. My testimony is not good enough to share because I, don't, I didn't go from rags to riches, so to speak. Or I didn't go from dark to light. But we always, always need to understand it's not about the external. It's about the condition of the heart. Be careful, little heart, whom you trust. Be careful, little heart, whom you trust. For the Father up above is looking down with love. Be careful, little heart, whom you trust. Are our lives different? Are we living a new life in Him? And when I gave my life to Christ and I began to pursue that, I was telling Lisa this week, one of the instrumental things in my life was doing experiencing God as a youth, the youth edition of that changed my life. I mean, there really, at the time in the mid-90s when I was in high school, there was virtually no discipleship curriculum for youth other than if we did what was called a disciple now then. Some of you may know what I'm talking about, just a weekend retreat gathering and whatnot. But that, that radically changed my life because it let me know that though I can have all these out outside things fixed and tweaked and looked apart that really, really what matters is what is the condition of the heart. And just like so many of us who are suffering with ailments and cancer and whatnot, you can look fine on the outside. You can smile to the rest of the world, but that does not mean that you don't have a terminal cancer within you. 
And the same is true with the spiritual life. We need to make sure that we have a new life, not based on externals, based on internals. As a matter of fact, you know, when I was in church growing up, uh, I was in a three-piece suit, vest, tie, suit, every Sunday, from the time you could purchase them until I went to high school. Now, if you look at me today, I, listen, this is casual compared to the way I used to dress. And some of you are thinking, I wish you'd go back to that. Uh, but I say that to, to say that, you know, you can, listen, you can look the part and still be falling apart on the inside. Have we had a new life? Are we living a new life that's centered in Him? If you look at verse 6 of the passage, it says in verse 5, if we've been united with Him in a death like His, we will certainly also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Verse 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Verse 7, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. That means that the life that you and I live that was ruled by our sinful nature should be over. Now I want you to think on a day-to-day basis how you make a decision. I want you to think about situations, no matter how insignificant that we might think that they are, everything has spiritual significance to the kingdom. No matter how small we want to make it. So, you know, for instance, if, if we're faced with a decision and uh, we, you know, we may say, well, you know, it's, it's not that big of a deal and, and, we, and we make a decision. Are we making decisions that will lend itself to be a follower of Christ? Uh, and oftentimes, ladies and gentlemen, doing, following Jesus, most of the time, following Jesus is not easy. Period. I'm thinking of a situation right now that, uh, you know, in the next couple of weeks I'll be moving in uh, to our house, hopefully, cross my fingers. And um, there's a situation involved with that where I have the ability to be a witness. And I've discussed with some of you about this situation when we've been on camp this summer or whatnot. I have a decision to make. Do I, do I be, am I gracious or am I just going to be the normal status quo? And one of the things I pray for often is, God, give me opportunities that are going to stretch and grow me. Be careful what you pray for. Because the reality is this, and I've, taught, I've run this situation by many of you, and I'm not going to go into details in it publicly, but I've run this situation by several of you, I would say probably 20 or 30 of you in mixed company, and almost, listen, 95% of you, uh, some of you won't want to comment because you, you're afraid that you, know, you might offend me or whatnot, but about 95% of you said, I should take a certain course of action. The issue is, the 95% of you, if you were in my situation, you might do that. But when you really unpeel the onion, the 95% of you could be wrong. Because ultimately what matters to me is that whatever decision we do, whatever, however we respond, however we react, it's one that invites people into fellowship with God. It's one that encourages people to follow Jesus. And in this situation, I'm dealing with a host of people from, from the bank and everywhere else. Not everybody's a believer. But people are watching. 
People are watching how we respond. People are watching about how we act. People are watching how we conduct ourselves. And it's very, very important that what we do brings glory to Christ. That what we do becomes an invitation. That what we do is so radically different than what the world's wisdom would be that people step back and go, why is he doing that? Why would he do that? I wouldn't do that. Because it's the gracious thing to do, or it's the right thing to do, or it's the spiritual thing to do. Because ultimately, listen, not, and it's, listen, it'd be easy for people to say, well, he's the pastor of the church. He has to be concerned about how he conducts business in the community. It would make no difference whether it's the pastor, or the deacon, or the layman, or layperson. It matters what we do. It matters what we say. That's why I have to be careful even when I write for the paper or when I write on Facebook. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to push an agenda or push a viewpoint. I'm trying to make people think more deeply about the decisions and beliefs and practices that they have. And ultimately the litmus test is not whether Todd agrees with it or doesn't like it. Ultimately the litmus test is... Where does this lead us spiritually in relationship with Christ? Are we living a new life inaugurated by Him, begun by Him, and has our old life come to an end? I tell the staff all the time and, and different people, deacons and whatnot, you know, Todd Hallman of 2016 is not Todd Hallman of 2000. Something, I mean, you know, and, and that's a good thing. If you're, listen, if you've been a believer, a follower of Jesus for 20 years, and there's no difference between day one and year 20, there's a problem. We grow in our relationship. The thing, listen, when I first started ministry, I'd die on every hill. Every hill was worth dying for. I would lead the causes. We're going to be victorious. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna stomp out the enemy. We're going to make sure. You know what happens? People get wounded. Be selective. Be selective about what hills you die on. Be selective on what you do. Be selective on what you hear. Be selective on what you see. Be selective in whom you trust. Because if not, there'll be no distinguishing characteristic between us and the rest of the world that we're called to reach. Why is it that people look at Christianity as hypocrisy? Because we're hypocrites on our best day. And the only way that we can circumvent that reality, the only way that we can get around that reality, the only way that we can uh, change people's minds is not going to be by our catchy cliches or our spoken word. We are going to have to demonstrate the gospel in their midst, even when it's trying, even when it's troubling, even when it's difficult. Jesus led a difficult path. He died. And I think we minimize that. We think, well, because he was God, he could do this. I, I, want you, I just want you to imagine a second. The creator of the universe, okay... God the Son, who the Father and He are one, He has all the power of the kingdom. And these little petty Roman soldiers come up in the Easter story and arrest Him in the middle of the garden. Let's put ourselves in God's position a second. If we were Jesus, I would have gone, bam, you're done, drop dead. 
guard's done. You know, that's not what he does. He takes the most difficult path. So why do we complain when difficult paths come our way? Why do we complain when, because listen, the path of Jesus, the path of Jesus will always take him and it will always take us to a cross. And the cross that is presented before us is not one where we get to crucify someone else. The cross that is before us is always a call to get up and hang for Jesus. When we recognize that, we will understand why we have trouble in this world. When we recognize that, we'll understand that this life is not easy, that following Jesus is difficult. And for those of you, you know, that, are, that are working, I mean, how many of you work with difficult people? Uh, let, me, let me rephrase this. How many of you have ever worked with a difficult person? There we go. That, that'll kind of get it out of the, the current. Okay. How many of you ever prayed to change somebody? God, will you just change their heart? Have you ever asked yourself or thought about this possibility that maybe the change that needs to happen is with you? Maybe it's not with them. Maybe it's you. When you're faced with difficult conversation or you're faced with a difficult situation, you can be loud and boisterous or you can just listen. And I would submit to you that listening goes a lot further, a lot longer than being animated. Try to see other people's perspectives. Try to understand where other people are coming from with your coworkers, your supervisors. Because ultimately, the way we conduct ourselves needs to point to Jesus. Are we living a new life? How or has our old life come to an end? Because I want you to understand what it says. The old life has come to an end. It does not say that our old life has been put to sleep or that our old life should be dormant. It's not sleep. It's not dormancy. It's gone. It's done away with. Has the old life passed Away. Now, some of you say, well, for the most part, what does that mean? It's either passed away or it's not. I mean, to say it sort of would be the equivalent of a husband or wife saying, well, I am committed to my spouse 98% of the time. What does that mean? Fully committed or not committed? Old life fully done away with or not. And it's not that when we surrender that old life, when we lay that off and when we die to self, listen, understand this. It's not that sin, we no longer sin. We sin, listen, we sin every day. Or at least I do. I hope I'm normal. I sin every day. You know, I, and you know, I, I think probably number one of my sin, that's why I get Jerry to drive me around uh, for visits sometimes, because then I don't have to worry about sinning uh, when people cut us off. I'm just like, oh yeah, look at that car. Yeah, Jerry, you should calm down. You shouldn't worry about that as much. We need to be concerned, making sure that the old is past and the new has come. In Christ, has our old life come to an end? Are we living a new life? 
And then, most importantly, verse 11 of the passage says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Now, when I, when I read that this week, it was, it was interesting because that is exactly what that song speaks of that I began with this morning. Do not use any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Think about what you listen to. Is the music you're listening to, is the commentary that you're listening to, is the news media that you're listening to, is it pointing you to Jesus? Is it holistic? Or are you listening to things? And listen, and I know, I know the argument, well, I don't really listen to the words. I'm following the beat. Sure you are. I used to use that argument. It doesn't work. Um, because here's the thing, even if that's true, that you're being objective and you're being serious about the beat, you just kind of want to keep the beat, what you're putting into your mind, what your brain is soaking up, will eventually come out in your thoughts, in your inner thoughts, and in your life. Be careful ears, what you listen to. Uh, and, and here's the thing, be careful tongue, what you say. Uh, will you say that out loud? Be careful, tongue, what you say. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say that? Be careful, tongue, what you say. Sometimes your tongue is vocal. Sometimes your tongue is virtual. Be careful what you say. Ripping people to shreds, I don't care how bad they are or how bad you think they are, has no place in the kingdom. Let me go as far as say this, we're entering, and by the way, you know we have a presidential election this year? I guarantee you that most people in this room have a definite opinion about that election. Because it's just, I mean, the polarization of it is unlike I've ever seen. I love it. I eat it up. I have a definite, a, a definite candidate that I will probably support. And I have one that I won't support. But you will not see me rip the opponent to shreds. Why? Because he or she, whether we like it or not, is a creation of the Almighty God. And instead of ripping them apart, we ought to be praying for their souls. And that's just reality. But you see, we kind of think to ourselves, well, they're other, I mean, they're, they're, they're public figures, so I don't know them, they don't know me, and everybody's jumping in and doing it. Okay? As Mama always said, if George jumped off the cliff, are you going to do it? Be careful what you say. You can oppose policies without opposing people. Anytime it goes to mudslinging on either front, you will never look good, even if you are presumed righteous in what you do. So be careful what you put out there. Be careful what you say. Because I'm going to tell you this. There's a lot greater evil in this world than the people who are running for public office in these United States. 
Evil is alive and well. And I'll go as far as to say that though I am concerned about ISIS and though I'm concerned about radical Islam, I'm concerned about our domestic terrorism that's occurring at a massive rate. We've got to get a grip on racism. We've got to get a grip in our communities. Instead of offering our two cents about such things, we need to make sure that we are praying to a God who is very aware of all of these situations. Be careful what you say. Be careful what you hear. Be careful whom you trust. Put all of your trust in Jesus Christ. Because he is the one person that's not going to fail you. And guess what? He's not running for re-election and he's not running for election. But his election is very important for those of us who are his followers. Because we are in the elect. Everyone who trusts in Christ is in the elect. And we are elected for great things. We are elected for salvation. And our role until we die is to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to come and know him, to trust in him, to have a new life through him, to have their old life come to an end, and ultimately, finally, to be made alive in Christ. As we surrender to God, as we encourage others to surrender to God, so that sin will no longer control us because we are under God's grace. Now, if we're really honest with ourselves this morning, there's a lot of responses that we need to have to this. School's getting ready to kick back up. Teachers, I'll just speak for them. I've spoken to some. Teachers aren't happy about going back to school. Guess what? The students aren't either. You know, it's a stressful time. Summer has been a blink of the eye. I mean, it has just flown by. Be careful what you say. Be careful what you hear. Be careful what you do. Be careful whom you trust. Instead of praying to, or instead of praying that the world will change, or that God would move in a way and change this person or change that person, today I simply ask that you pray. That God will change us. Do you realize what would happen if a group of 300 people in this congregation really, really, really seriously committed themselves to doing self-examination of their spiritual walk? And we really thought about the repercussions of what we say, what we do. And we thought in spiritual terms that every single thing that we do, everything that we say, everything that we hear has spiritual implications. That we who are called to lead and guide and work in this community, what would happen if people noticed a change in us, the people that we work with that are hard to get along with, the people that we serve with that are hard to serve with, what would happen if God would change us it's humbling. It's so easy to say everybody else needs to change. But have mercy when we look at our own lives and we think, you know what? 
I could tweak this a bit. I could change this perspective a bit. I could give more latitude to this. Attempt to live out in other people's shoes. Attempt to see from other people's perspective. You will change a lot of your heartache. You'll change a lot of problems. You'll solve a lot of things that you never knew that you would solve. When we take this life seriously, when we live a new life in Him, when our old life completely is put to its end, and when we radically accept the fact that we are alive in Christ. And we're not alive in Christ just so that we can gloat in it on a Wednesday or Sunday. We are alive in Christ so that we can impact the world. Now some have commented in the last couple of weeks, man, the pastor is gone a lot. He has been gone here, there, and yonder with this camera. Let me, let me, let me say this. I've not done anything this summer that every single person in this pew should not be doing. You need to be active in Christ, pursuing people, being, unrelent- being unrelentless or being relentless in it. And here's, here's the fact of the matter. When we are so, so committed to reaching people to Christ and impacting lives, everything else will fail in comparison. Some of you are tired and you're weary and you're worn. Quit serving out of your own strength and serve with His. Some of you are tired, weary, and worn. Quit paying attention to what other people think and start giving 100% credence to the Lordship of Christ and what He believes about you. Some of you are tired, weary, and worn, focused on changing the world when what God wants to change is you and me to be more in line with Him. Outlook always determines outcome. Our ability to reach people And by the way, when I say reach people, it's not really about what we do. It's about what God's doing through us. But our ability to be a witness for Christ is greatly enhanced when we die to our agendas, when we die to what we want, and when we follow Jesus all the way to his cross. Some of us today need to crucify some things. Some of us today need to be crucified with Christ... And understand that when he gives us the resurrection that's in him and through him alone. That this resurrected body in spirit and in truth. That we have died to what was. And he's given us a new life indeed. A new year is upon us. Very closely for school. You can be different. You can be a different teacher. You can be a better administrator. You can be a better educator. You can be a better student. And it will begin by being a better follower of Jesus. Whether you're at school, whether you're at a plant, whether you own your own business, pursue Him with all that you are.
Pursue him with everything. And you'll discover that his grace is tremendously sufficient for you, your problems, your trials, your pain. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning as we come in this invitation, as we sing in Christ alone, I pray, Lord, that that would be just the simple truth of our lives. It's in you alone that we trust for salvation. It's in you alone that we respond because you alone can fix our brokenness. You alone can heal our situation. God, everywhere in this room, we pray for spiritual change to happen in our lives. Fathers, we seek you. Lord, we thank you for this awesome week at Raw Mountain as lives were impacted, as children were impacted. But Lord, in this invitation today, as you invite us, may we latch on to the simple truth that you love us, that you're looking down from above with absolute love. So may we guard ourselves to make sure that we've let go of the old and that we've embraced the new life in Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning, perhaps uh, you need to surrender some things to the Lord. This altar's open. You don't have to make that known to me. You don't really need me. You have direct access to the Father. And His grace is sufficient for you. Don't worry about what mom and dad are going to think or what your neighbor's going to think or what your Sunday school member is going to think. You, listen, we just need to be concerned about what God thinks. You do what you need to do in this time. Maybe you need to lay someone at the altar spiritually that you've been concerned about or you've been focused upon. Maybe today you say, you know what, I really feel like I want to be a part of First Baptist Church. I'd like to join and become a member. We would love to have you. Maybe today there's some other spiritual issue that you're dealing with in this invitation. Don't let these words be uttered from your mouth unless they originate from your heart. In Christ alone, will you stand with Let's sing. Let's worship. Let's respond.